0: SCORE Innovation Podcast.
1: Welcome to the SCORE Innovation Podcast channel for a new Property & Casualty episode. My name is Veva Collison, Head of Marketing for the Americas at SCORE, and with me is Michelle Krenzer, Global Leader Onshore Energy, and we are your hosts today. In this second part of a three-part series on hydrogen, we will continue to look at why hydrogen will be increasingly part of our lives and how we can apply it efficiently and innovatively. The first part of this series entitled Hydrogen Basics for the Next Generation was about understanding what it is and how it works. You can find this episode by subscribing to the channel as well as another episode featuring Michelle entitled The Refinery of the Future. So, Michelle, welcome to the podcast. It's a great pleasure to have you join us again today. So, just to get started, can you remind us why there is a debate on the benefits of hydrogen today?
0: Hi, thanks for having me on this podcast. Hydrogen is only part of the numerous solutions discussed today to the energy transition. It requires huge investments in infrastructure, transport, etc. So the debate is around other, and possibly competing and cheaper solutions. I'm convinced hydrogen will play a huge part in decarbonizing the economy. We just don't know exactly what this contribution will be. Innovation in the next years might actually disrupt plans. The debate is also on the best use of hydrogen once produced. It's a question of priority. It makes sense to use it where there are no better alternatives. There are some applications that are advertised by some and criticized by others, like heating homes and buildings. Does it make sense when there are alternatives like heat pumps or electric heating? The city of Aberdeen might well offer a response with a plan to convert home energy to 100% by 2030. In reality, it's difficult to generalize.
1: Well, that would be miraculous, really. But then why do I understand that hydrogen is controversial? Why is that in your perspective?
0: Well, some say we'll solve a lot of problems. Others say it's an excuse to keep producing gas. Blue hydrogen produced from natural gas with a carbon capture system has been criticized for underestimating overall greenhouse gas emissions, especially due to methane Fugitive emissions. Some say it's dangerous, referring to the 1937 Hindenburg tragedy we discussed in part one. It also suffers from inefficiencies because it needs to be transported and stored, and that's expensive. And some say it doesn't make sense to use hydrogen for power because it's been generated by power in the first place. On the other hand, Korea said it wants to use a fuel mix with. 30% hydrogen at all its gas-fired power plants by 2035.
1: Well, that doesn't sound very good, does it?
0: Well, hydrogen could be an industrial revolution and become a $2 trillion economy by 2050. Any major change like this will have some opponents. It needs to be managed properly. It is important to be objective and look at the pros and cons of every solution. Because of the advantages of hydrogen discussed in part one, being a source of clean energy, overall, most people would agree that hydrogen will contribute to reducing climate change. That's why we see lots of large financial commitments, hundreds of billions of dollars from governments and private companies. It's also viewed by many think tanks and the International Energy Agency as part of the necessary solutions to achieve net zero. It's also clear that it offers potentially attractive solutions for decarbonization of hard to abate sectors, sectors that cannot be electrified. The issue is how to produce large quantities of green hydrogen cost effectively, and that's where innovation plays a key role.
1: Okay, so Michelle, you just mentioned a lot of risks and drawbacks, um, if I understand well. So what um, will it likely be used for in the future, according to you?
0: Well, in the future, hydrogen will continue to be used in refineries, fertilizer plants and chemical plants. That's an easy win because there's no need to fundamentally change existing processes. The supply of hydrogen needs to become green or blue that will already cover a large chunk of CO2 emissions, about 800 million tons per year. Wow. And there are
1: um, any new industrial applications?
0: Yes. And that's the exciting bit. The most useful will be for the so-called hard-to-abate industries like steel and cement. Steel today produces around 7% of greenhouse gas emissions. That's three times as much as aviation. It will be difficult to replace or reduce steel production. In fact, steel production is predicted to increase. In addition, steel will be needed to build the solutions to the climate change challenge. Hydrogen production and infrastructure carbon capture systems, wind turbines, solar panels, and so on. Hydrogen can be used to produce green steel, but this will necessitate a change of processes. This is being developed by major steel makers across the globe. Innovation is key, and then huge investments will be necessary to replace existing production processes.
1: Interesting. And how about new hydrogen applications for transport, which I understand represents a large share of GHG emissions?
0: Yes, that's an interesting one. Let's start with the most obvious, passenger cars. First, to clarify, when we speak about hydrogen cars, trucks, planes, it can mean that the vehicle is powered by an engine burning hydrogen instead of gasoline or kerosene. But it's not always clear that, in most cases, we're actually talking about fuel cells fed with hydrogen, producing electric power. Sorry, what is a fuel cell? Well, you will hear this more and more. It's a device that converts hydrogen and oxygen from the air to electricity without combustion. It's chemistry at its best. It's the reverse of electrolysis. Here, too, there's a lot of innovation to expect to make them more powerful. Fuel cells are already used in many applications, but they're being developed to enhance performance, weight, and reduced use of precious metals.
1: Okay, that's clear now, but aren't cars powered by batteries today? What's the difference?
0: Yes, battery electric vehicles have taken off. Prices are reducing, it will be hard now for hydrogen cars to compete, but who knows? The percentage of fuel cell vehicles is very small, around 25,000. Some countries believe in them, like China, Japan, Korea, California. Fuel cell cars could remain a good alternative due to the advantages of fuel cells mentioned earlier for cars. Your fueling time is crucial. With hydrogen, it takes just four minutes. It's much quicker than recharging batteries. The issue is the infrastructure. There are very few service stations where you can refuel with hydrogen today. Fuel cells are probably more useful for heavy and long distance transportation.
1: And how about other transport sectors?
0: Yes, especially where batteries are not optimal or not possible. We're starting to see examples of production of long distance buses, trucks, trains, ships and even planes that are in operation. Daimler, with its popular brand Mercedes, is the largest truck manufacturer in the world. They are committed to serious production of hydrogen fuel cells trucks by 2027.
1: And um, I haven't heard you mention aviation. will never fly electric planes across the ocean, right?
0: Well, who knows? This would have been classed as science fiction just a few years ago. Aviation is the most challenging transport sector to decarbonize. But small hydrogen planes are already in operation. Airbus is developing a 200-passenger plane With hybrid liquid hydrogen combustion plus fuel cells to be operational in 2035. The main challenge is the cryogenic storage of liquid hydrogen, as the temperature needs to be maintained at minus 253 degrees Celsius. We have the experience of rockets like Ariane, but safety requirements are different for planes as they have to sustain something like 20,000 flights.
1: Well, that's incredible. And it does sound like science fiction indeed to me. So any other applications?
0: It could also be used for heating buildings and homes, as mentioned earlier, but it's unlikely to be used on a large scale, at least short term, because other clean electric solutions exist. Hydrogen demand will need to be prioritized, but it could represent a few percentage of hydrogen demand
1: and how about the power sector?
0: The use of hydrogen will be more limited, but it is considered either to replace gas or be blended with gas to be burnt in gas turbines. This would be for limited uses where gas turbines already exist. This may require minimal capital investment. Some forecasts indicate this could represent up to 20% of hydrogen demand by 2050.
1: And it is expensive to do this, I assume?
0: Yes, of course. And that's why we're also talking about a hydrogen economy. It's a whole new ecosystem. At the end of the day, hydrogen will win if green hydrogen can be produced cheaply. Today, grey hydrogen is much cheaper than green hydrogen. That means electrolyzers, for example, need to be much cheaper. That's going to happen when the hydrogen economy develops. We have seen the same with solar energy.
1: So with that being said, can you quantify how expensive green hydrogen is?
0: Yes, at the moment, green hydrogen costs around six to eight dollars per kilo versus one or two dollars per kilo for gray hydrogen. So we're a long way off. However, costs will go down over the next years for three reasons. First, production will ramp up, providing economies of scale. Second, innovation is constantly improving techniques and performance, ultimately reducing production costs. Finally, hydrogen that's not green will be increasingly penalized by carbon taxes.
1: We're also hearing about blue hydrogen. Uh, What is it?
0: Yes, blue hydrogen is just slightly more expensive than gray hydrogen and is getting tax credits, for example, in the US that will make it cost competitive. In addition, it's easier to scale up. That's why blue hydrogen will be useful to start reducing emissions very quickly, probably for a few decades before green hydrogen becomes competitive and takes over. Also, it's possible to retrofit existing grey hydrogen production units into blue hydrogen.
1: Are we going to need very large
0: projects then? Yes, huge. Similar in size and investments to nuclear power stations. We're talking in billions of dollars.
1: So where are the largest projects today?
0: As far as I know, the largest project today is the Western Green Energy Hub in Australia. will convert wind and sun into hydrogen and ammonia. It will generate twice as much power as the largest power plant in the world, which is the Three Gorges Dam in China, or six times the largest nuclear power plant in the world. The cost will be around 100 billion dollars and the footprint will be something like 15,000 square kilometers. That's a lot of land
1: Wow, it is. Those numbers are making my head spin. So that's going to take years to be operational, right?
0: You're right. Final investment decision in this case will be around 2028. It takes time for large projects. That's why it's important to take decisions this decade to have an impact ahead of 2050.
1: So Michel, this brings the question, are some countries at an advantage in this field?
0: Yeah, green hydrogen means green electricity. The most suitable regions for building green hydrogen plants combine the availability of sun and or wind and unprotected land. Australia seems to be suited and so is West Africa, Chile and many others. This could change the geopolitics of energy. Take the the example of Namibia a small country of two and a half million people, they're working on one of the largest hydrogen projects for an estimated cost of $9 billion. The GDP of the country is only $10 billion. There's no industrial infrastructure. It will have a huge impact on their economy. On the other hand, many countries will also import hydrogen. Rotterdam is a good example of a port preparing to become a major importer of green hydrogen. They already have agreements with Australia.
1: With everything you just said, like so how will hydrogen be transported from these countries?
0: Good question. Transportation by pipeline is the cheapest, but it's only economical for short distances. That's why industrial clusters will form around hydrogen production centers. For long distance transport, several options are open. One of them is to liquefy hydrogen, like natural gas, which is very common, to reduce its volume about 800 times, but it needs to be brought down to minus 253 degrees Celsius, a lot lower than natural gas. This already exists. In December 2021, the first hydrogen carrier ship was sent from Japan to Australia to bring back liquid hydrogen. So it's technically feasible, but it's very costly. And are
1: governments getting involved too?
0: Yes. Besides taxing carbon, most countries have a hydrogen strategy. But the motivation varies a lot from country to country. Oil and gas producing countries will tend to have weaker initiatives. On the other hand, some governments provide huge support and they could have a huge impact. In the US, for example, a tax credit of three dollars per kilo has been voted, not approved by Senate yet, which could make green hydrogen on par with grey hydrogen. Europe is leading the world of green hydrogen projects. In Germany, the new government decided to double the target of electrolyzer capacity to 10 gigawatts by 2030. There will be billions of subsidies, as in most European countries. France, Spain and other countries have ambitious programs.
1: So, moving on, shifting gears a little, how about research and innovation in hydrogen production?
0: Of course, there's lots of research related to hydrogen with many areas subject to innovation to improve processes, performance, durability, and cost. Just to name a few. Solar panels, wind turbines are improving every day. This contributes to green electricity getting cheaper and cheaper. Another example is electrolyzers. There are several types all at different stages of development with their advantages and drawbacks, but for all of them, prices are going down. We could also mention the production of hydrogen from biomass and waste using microbes is being researched. And finally, the holy grail, in its early stages of research, is water splitting directly from solar energy, maybe one day. Michelle,
1: thank you very much for joining us again today and for offering our listeners your expertise and deep knowledge on this topic. By talking to you, I am personally getting more and more convinced of the future role hydrogen will be playing in the energy transition. For those of you listeners who want to continue learning about hydrogen, please look out for our last episode of the series that will come out in the next few days on the channel and that will be dedicated to the role of insurers to support the transition to the hydrogen economy so please subscribe to the channel stay tuned and thank you for joining us today thank you to all of our guests for joining today you can subscribe to the score innovation podcast on apple podcast spotify or other audio platforms and be our first listener to new episodes if you want to share your insights with us then send us a message at scorepodcast at score.com stay tuned and see you at the next episode of score innovation podcast